pray, and then we'll spend some time in the word together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, we thank you once again for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son to come and die for us, uh, for your own glory, but we thank you that we are a recipient of your love and of your grace. And we just ask that as we think about the truth that's found in your word this morning, that your spirit will be leading us and guiding us. Guide me in the things that I ought to say, to focus on the things that are the most important and, and to have self-control and not rant and rave about the things that I want to hobby horse on. We pray that your words will sink in deep and that you will make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. This uh, past couple years, I've been learning this truth. Uh, I guess I've always known it. It's just become a little bit more real. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Something that you know but then as you start living life, you start realizing, okay, this truth is, is really true. And, and the best way I can simplify it is this, is, uh, you know, the problem isn't the amount of water. It's the amount of water that comes inside of the boat, right? That's the real problem. So there's a lot of water, but the more water you have in your boat, the bigger problem you have. And so you understand my point that there's a lot of things outside that are bad. A lot of things outside of these walls that are bad. There's probably a lot of things inside of these walls that are bad, but for right now, let's just think of this church as a ship. There's a lot of dark, stormy waters, right? There's a lot of icebergs ahead, and we should should not run right into those icebergs, right? We should try to avoid them to not cause a shipwreck because the issue is we don't want the water to come inside of the boat. And as much as I, I, I believe that, I, I think that part of the problem is, is that I'm so easily influenced by others, and so are you. We, we, are inf- we, we get influenced easily. And some of the reason that I wanted to do a series on worship, and we're going to continue that this morning, is reminder for myself and reminder for you that we need to be biblical and Christ-honoring when it comes to the subject of worship. And it's easy for us to pick up a lot of bad ideas that are out there and bring them in. And that's devastating to us. And so we need to be reminded to stay focused on the things that we need to stay focused on. And before I, I really get into this, I, I want to just tell you what we're up against. I want to I name four major icebergs that, that are there that easily get brought in. And I, I've seen some of this in my own mind and in, in the comments of others have come in. And there's four icebergs that we should, we should be, be aware of. The first iceberg that we should be aware of is worship is a product to be consumed. In the modern church, if you look on churches' websites and you look under the tab of what to expect, and as they describe their worship service, it sounds like a sales pitch. And when you talk to people, they say, well, I go to this church because they do this when they worship. I don't go to that church because they do that when they worship. And so what ends up happening is we become the arbitrators, right, of what is acceptable worship and what's not. And worship is no longer this thing where we're responding appropriately to God's grace out of love for him, it becomes this thing that we 
We consume, right? It's a product. That church has that product. This church has this product. I'm going to pick this one over that one because of the product. That is a terrible, terrible thing that has come in. It's come into the church, right? Even some people have said, well, we got to do something to bring in other people, right? Like, like we have to change something about our DNA to bring in some other people. Younger people like younger music. Maybe we should get some newer music and they'll bring in younger people. That's thinking of worship as a product. The, the issue should be, how can I worship God and respond appropriately to his grace? Not, what's going to bring in a lot of people? That's a product and that's bad. Another one, worship has become about me. We live in a me-centered world. Today, lots of people will go to a place called the church, and they will hear the new Christianity. If you don't know this is the new Christianity, I'm letting you know. The new Christianity and the new ism is therapeutic theism. Most people around the world, that is what they have a diet of. Therapeutic theism. It's not the gospel. It's not the Bible. It's like we all come together and we're part of Sinners Anonymous. We all talk like we're part of Sinners Anonymous. And we just say the solution is God. Not Christ, not the gospel, God. God gives us meaning. God does this. God rescues us here. If you listen to all the songs, it's all about boo-hoo. Look how bad I was. Look how bad this was. And God thought I was worthy enough to save me. It's very therapeutic. It's not focusing on God and his attributes and let's exalt him. It's me, me, my problems. I have all this junk going on. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And when we get together, what do we want to do? We want to share about all of the bad stuff that's going on in our life. So so pointing back to me, 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 me. The best storyteller wins. The best storyteller is the one who's the worshiper. Another one that I think is incredibly scary, incredibly scary, is this idea that the pastor is the CEO, the cruise director, the camp counselor, and the professional therapy, uh, therapist, all in one. And that the spiritual life of every single person is determined on the skill and charisma of the pastor. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a thing that happens here. But if you are aware of other churches and other pastors, you understand exactly what I'm saying. So much is wrapped up in the identity of the pastor, of the ability of the pastor... So much of life is about him and his ability and his talent and his charisma. Friends, this is not about me. If you come here because of me, you are wrong. Right? You should be coming here to worship God, to exalt God. That's the purpose. That's my desire, is for you to listen to God's word and then exalt Christ. Right? If you make all of your Christian life about me, Caleb Hilbert you are going to fail epically because you are putting your hope in the wrong thing. One of the, one of the other things that I think is really dangerous, one of these other icebergs that are happening that, that we need to be aware of is that a lot of people think, well, if we just spend time in the word and in prayer, that's stale. That's not really worship. That's just stale. 
stale stuff. Worship means I got to feel something. I have to feel something deep inside. I have to have some warm fuzzy. I have to get a shock of electricity. I, I, I have to feel like I can breathe the air. It's not worship. Now, you may get that feeling, and if you do, praise the Lord. If you listen to God's word and you get that feeling, great. Or if God does something great in your life and you want to praise him and you're exuberant in that praise, amen. I, I have no problem with that. But to assume that that's what worship is, is that feeling, you are woefully, woefully unbiblical. It is about an appropriate response to God's grace and to his love. This morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. The past month of December, we've been talking about worship. Remember, about a month ago, we defined worship. Worship is this appropriate response to God from love, right? I love him, therefore I'm going to respond appropriately. We talked about who should worship. Everyone should worship, especially the believer. We asked the question, when should we worship? The answer is clear, right now. Right now. There should never be a time in your life that you're not worshiping. There should never be a time in your life where you're not responding appropriately to God out of your love for him, for his honor and his glory. Every part of your life is for worship. But there does seem to be this emphasis on Sunday when we come together corporately to worship. There does seem to be evidence in the New Testament that believers congregated together in a church more than one time a week, right? They met regularly, and the sense is, though, that Sunday was kind of the, the, big, the big day. Last week, over Facebook Live, because of the snow that Maya brought with her from Wyoming, thanks a lot, Maya, joking, uh, was why should we worship? That's an important question to ask as well. Why do I do what I do? Why do I respond appropriately to God? And the overwhelming answer is because of God. I, I worship God because of God. Not only does he work on my heart and give me the will and ability to worship him, he is the motivation for me to worship as well. I want to know him. I want him to be honored. I want him to be glorified. I love him. He is it. That's why I do what I do, because of him. He's changing me. He's working on me. But also, when I think of him, when I know him, he is what I want people to know. That's what my heart finds its greatest joy in. He's my motivation to worship. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about how. How one worships. So go with me to the book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. We we don't have time to go through all of this text. Someday we will. But for right now, I just want to draw your attention to verse 22. uh, Let's start in, yeah, let's start in 22. So Jesus is talking to this woman uh, at the well. She, she challenges Jesus in his worship, right? And she says, us Samaritans worship here, you Jews worship there, right? And the insinuation is we worship better than you do because we're worshiping at a place where Jacob was. And, and, and notice Jesus' response uh, in verse 22. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
First of all, just notice Jesus' statement in verse 23 where he says, when the true worshipers will worship. That word for true, that's a, that's a, that's a very good translation, true. That's, that's the meaning of the word true. Although we could translate it as real or genuine, right? So we could translate it when the genuine worshipers will worship. Just by using that phrase, by the way, genuine, suggests that some people are false worshipers, right? He just said, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. There is a time when true worshipers will worship, insinuating that there's a whole bunch of false worshipers. There's a whole bunch of false worship. It's not genuine. And when I say that it's not genuine, it's not that, I, it's not that I'm saying that those people who are worshiping falsely aren't, don't feel something. It's not from their heart. It's just not in the way that God says is correct. Therefore, it's not real worship. God identifies, this is what worship is. This is what I require. This is, this is true worship. You don't do that. You're not worshiping. So Jesus says there's going to be a time where there's going to be true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So notice how Jesus defines these true worshipers. He defines it by two things, that they're in two things, by spirit and by truth. It's spiritual and it's truthful. What does Jesus mean when he says you worship in spirit? It's clear. It's not by ritual. It's not by place. It's not by tradition. You can't muster this up as much as you would like to worship God. You can't muster up adoration for him and devotion for him. It is clear, I think from the context of the book, that when Jesus says you must worship in spirit, he's talking about it must be inspired by the Holy Spirit. This, this comes from those who are born again, those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's spiritual. He, he's the one that causes it. He, he's the one that influences it. it. It's done by the agency of the Holy Spirit in the life of the true worshiper. That, that, that because of the work of the Holy Spirit on the heart of the worshiper, and because of his work on the worshiper's life, the product of the worshiper is spiritual in nature. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from God. You can't fabricate this on your own. This can only come through the Spirit. There's no ritual, there's no tradition that will bring about true worship. It has to be the Holy Spirit. And then when he says it's truthful, what does he mean? I don't think Jesus here is talking about truth in general, meaning whatever's true, that, that's, that's how we worship. I think he's talking about a specific truth, isn't he? It has to be specific truth. It can't just be general truth. It has to be something specific. What's that specific truth? Well, John answers that specific truth. Jesus will later on say in the book, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So obviously the truth is Christ. Jesus will say in John 17, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He's talking about specific truth. The truth of the scriptures, the truth of Christ, the truth of our Savior. So notice that worship, that a true worshiper is worshiping in spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, and by the scriptures, by specific truth of Christ. You have to have both. You can't have one and then think that's worship. It's got to be both. 
It's got to be spirit-led and scripturally led. And then notice what he says. He says, uh, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This, if, you're just, if you're wanting to know God's will for your life, what does God want from me? Here you go. He just told you what God desires. God desires that you worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what God wants. Remember when we were discussing the definition of worship and that we as creatures don't have the right to be creative when it comes to being worshipful? That we basically go to God and say, God, what do you want? And then he tells us and we say, okay, that's what we must do. Church, this is what he just says, what he wants. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what he wants. We don't get to determine what that looks like. He already says it. It's got to be spirit-led and it's got to be from the scriptures. That's it. That's the type of worship that he wants, that he desires. These are the type of people that he wants. And then, and then, notice, then notice the next verse. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You see that? Must worship him. Not only is this what God wants, this is what God commands. This is what worship looks like. So how do we worship? We worship in spirit and in truth. Now, the rest of the New Testament in my mind discusses what this looks like to worship in spirit and truth. It's such a big idea, worshiping in spirit and truth, that we're probably not going to be able to cover it all in one Sunday. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look specifically on our everyday life as a believer. What does this look like to worship every single day by spirit and truth, spiritually and truthfully? What does this look like for us on a, on a, on a daily basis? Next week, Lord willing, if... if uh, if time permits. Next week, we'll discuss what does it look like to worship God in spirit and truth when we come together in a service like this. What, what does that look like? What does God specifically say? But this morning, I want to deal with us as individuals in privately and personally with the Lord. And I want to discuss what it looks like to worship him in spirit and in truth. And like all things, when dealing with God and in dealing with worship, before we get to the actions of what we're supposed to do, I think it's important for us to realize that there are attitudes that come with worship that we must have in our minds going. These are the attitudes that we must have. I think that these attitudes come from time in the word and when we're yielding to the spirit. So as I yield to the spirit and I spend time in God's word, there are attitudes and mindsets that come from the Spirit and from Scriptures that must be in our minds. They have to be here. These are non-negotiable attitudes. And every time that we're walking into a situation in life, from here on out, these need to be those, those attitudes that we carry every single moment with us. The first attitude is this. My number one goal in life. Number one, unequivocal, undisputed champion. My number one goal and purpose and desire in life is that God is glorified. I want him glorified. Whether that means I have to suffer for it, whether that means I have to give up for it, whether that means 
I have to walk by faith. Whatever, whatever happens, my number one goal is that I want him to be glorified. We've already looked at some of these passages. Remember, we saw this passage in Philippians, not only in our scripture reading, but, but a couple weeks ago, where the Apostle Paul is talking about a whole bunch of people who are preaching the gospel out of bad motives. And you think, well, how can somebody do that? I don't know, but somebody's doing that. And they're doing that to hurt the Apostle Paul. How they're going to hurt the Apostle Paul by preaching is just conjecture, right? Maybe they're just saying, look how great of a preacher I am. I'm a better preacher than Paul because more people have come to know Christ through my preaching other than the Apostle Paul. Whatever. You know what Paul's attitude is? A lot different from our attitudes. My attitude would have been, Lord, get them. Get them. Here's somebody willfully trying to hurt me when I'm not trying to hurt them. They're, they're, they're corrupting the gospel message with their own sinful, evil intentions. Go get them. It's not Paul's attitude. What's Paul's attitude? Amen. Jesus is being glorified. People are talking about Jesus. They have a bad motive. Okay. But they're still talking about Jesus. Amen. Notice what Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice verse 20. For you were bought with a price. You were redeemed. Christ bought you. You're saved by the blood of Jesus. So, glorify God in your body. That's it. That's your number one goal. Glorify him. See him exalted, right? So that's the first attitude that I think we as believers have to have. That's a worshipful attitude. Jesus must be honored. Jesus must be glorified. That's my number one goal. If I don't accomplish anything else in my life, but he is glorified through it, amen. Second attitude, ready? My number one job, unequivocally, my number one job, is to follow the Lord. That's it. That's my number one job. So my number one goal, Jesus being glorified, God being glorified. My number one job, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to do. Wherever he asks me to go, I will go. Whatever he asks me to do, I will do it. We have this terrible habit, and I think, it, I think it's some of the leftover parts when the Protestant church broke away from the Catholic church. I think we left some of that Catholic theology when, when we became Baptists. And one of those terrible habits that we have is that there's two classes of Christians in this room right now. There's the professional Christian who's really sold out, right? They're the missionaries, the pastors. They're, they're something special. They're more special than the rest of us. They're, they're special people. And, and they're more dedicated than, than the rest. And, and that's good for them. Good for them. And so we'll pay them to be dedicated professional Christians. Amen. And then there's everybody else. Everybody else. You guys are just lay people. We're the clergy. One, one time I was preaching at a church. Uh, it was a Methodist church. And uh, I was at Frontier, and they were looking for students to fill the pulpit. So I came, and there's two pulpits on the stage. And I asked the guy, uh, which one do I preach from? And he says, well, you are clergy, so you speak from that one. This other one is for the layman. We speak from this one. 
That's crazy. The New Testament has no concept of that. There's no varsity or junior varsity Christian, right? There's no first string or second string Christian here. We're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have the same blessings. To suggest that one is is more special than the other, that's insane. We have this terrible habit. And so when it comes to this and we say, well, one, I must follow the Lord. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, that's your job, Caleb. We pay you to professionally follow the Lord. I don't have to hold myself to that high of a standard because I pay you to do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Your number one job as a believer is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever he asks you to go, whatever he asks you to do, that's what you do it. And sometimes he asks us to do things that are very uncomfortable. Sometimes he asks us to do things that are very mundane. Amen. Amen that he asks us to do things that are mundane. Amen that he asks us to do things that are terrible. Sometimes he asks us to do things that are great and awesome. Amen. But my job is I'm going to follow him. Whatever he asks me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Ready for the next one? So first, my number one goal is that Jesus is glorified. Two, my number one job is that I follow the Lord. Three, my number one delight in this world, the thing that brings me the most joy, is knowing God. That's it. Now, I have a lot of other joys in my life, right? I have beautiful children. I have a wonderful wife. They bring me great joy. But number one, unequivocally, knowing the Lord should be my greatest joy. Right? Notice what, the Paul, notice what Paul says in Philippians 3. We read it this morning for the scripture reading. Just notice in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Can you echo that prayer? We should, right? I think this is the attitude that we should have. I'll give up everything for Jesus, gladly. Because the greatest joy that I have in this world is that I know him. There's another one. You ready? Ready for this? I am willing to give Jesus everything all the time. I'm willing to sacrifice the rest of my life for him. That's it. I'm leaving none for me. All for him. Right? Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What did Jesus say in Matthew? In, uh, in Matthew? He says, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's it. Those are the attitudes that we should have. When we're worshiping God, these are those attitudes. He receives the glory. That's it. I want everyone to know how how awesome he is. I want to magnify him in every moment. My number one job is to follow him, do whatever he says. The greatest joy I have in this world is that I know him. And I am willing to give up everything at a moment's notice to full-heartedly follow him and sacrifice my life for him. Reminds me of that statement that Polycarp made. He was a pastor in the church of Smyrna. 
during one of the Roman persecutions, and when, when they asked him to recant, he said, I've served the Lord my whole life, and he's never done me anything wrong. Why should I now deny him now when he asks me to die for him? That's the attitude that a believer should have. That's the type of worship that we should have. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, how you want me to do it, this is how I'm going in. Now, what are we supposed to do? Now, there's a lot of things. We're probably, uh, probably not going to cover all of them. And that's okay. We'll just pick up where we, left, where we leave off. But these are the right actions that you and I need to have on a regular basis. These are actions of worship. Every single moment that I'm, I'm living, this is what I do and this is how I worship him. And, and the first one that we're going we're to key in on this morning is unwavering faith in God. Every time that I step out by faith, that is worship. Every time that you step out by faith, that is worship. If you don't step out in faith, then you're not worshiping. Right? Just go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what is said in verse 6. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder, reward, and he rewards those who seek him. Notice that without faith, it's impossible to believe him. What does Paul say in the book of Romans? The righteous shall live by faith. That's it. What does Paul say in the book of, of Colossians? As you receive Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? By faith. How do you continue to walk? By faith. Faith is this persuasion of God's character. It's this trust in God's promises. It's the heart that says, I see what you ask me to do, and I will do it because I trust you. This moment that I'm stepping out, doing what you're asking me to do, I'm doing this because I believe you. I believe that you have my best interest at heart. I trust that you are who you, who you say you are. I trust your promises and that your promises will come true. I am convinced of your character and that you have my back. That's what stepping out in faith is. It's trusting him, trusting what he says. By the way, I think of this as one of the great acts of worship. Think about it. The, the flesh does not want us to trust God. The flesh wants us to trust ourselves to trust our own sight, trust our own mind, trust the way that we think, trust other people. It's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit wants us to trust God, trust those promises that we find in Scripture. Not, not to waver, not to waver. When he asks us to do something, and, and there's that time where we say, okay, I either trust myself and do what I want to do for my, for my own good, or I trust God and I do what he asks me to do. There's numerous times where he asks us to step out in faith that we don't necessarily think of stepping out in faith. Normally, we think of stepping out of faith like Abraham sacrificing Isaac. That takes a lot of faith to sacrifice your children, although sometimes it takes a lot of anger as well. Um, I'm joking. But we would think of that big moment. That's what it means to step out in faith. No, I think being obedient each moment is stepping out in faith. I, I, think, I think when God says, don't steal... And we're worried about where money's going to come from, and we have an opportunity to steal. 
and we say, you know what? I'm going to trust God in this moment. I'm going to do what he asks me to do. I'm going to work hard and not steal. He will take care of me. Because he promised the righteous shall not go hungry. I believe him. Right? That's stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith is acting in love when I want to act out in hatred. Right? That's stepping out in faith. I feel like it would be a good thing for me just to let this other person have it. But God asks me not to do that. He asks me to act in love. I got to trust him. I got to trust. I got to trust that he's going to work on that person's heart and that the things that he's going to do to that person's heart is far better than anything I can say to that person's face. That's, that's, that's walking by faith. The question is, how do we grow our faith and how do we become more worshipful in our faith? For me, I think the scripture is very clear. We focus on the character of God. When was the last time you've had a serious study, sit down, real think about the character of God and all of his attributes? Not just the ones you like, but all of them. And to think of the wonderful nature that God, the, the wonderful nature of his, of his attributes and how they, how they come to us, thinking of his eternality, his infinity, his omnipresence, how he's unchanging, how he's loving, almighty, he's omniscient, he's holy, he's merciful, he's just, he's wrathful, he's faithful, he's righteous, he's truthful, he's triune, he's sovereign, he's creative, and he's jealous. The amazing thing about him is that he's all of those all the time, and that they don't, they're not in competition with each other. So it's not like his wrath is in competition with his love. They're perfectly in sync, and he is perfectly loving and wrathful at the same time. Amen. That's incredible. And as I think about his character and I think about who he is, I just trust him more because I realize who he is. One of the other things that, that strengthens our faith is that we think about his promises. Man, how many promises has he made to us as believers? And as I think about those promises, man, they are incredible. I think of that one where Jesus said, he who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Incredible. Incredible. It's an incredible promise. And as I contemplate that promise, and as I contemplate his characteristics, I learn to trust him more. I look at prophecy, right? He made a prediction in one part of the scriptures. He then fulfills it in in future, almost perfectly so perfectly that you assume that somebody wrote it after the fact. You look at those things and you go, he bats a thousand, right? I can trust him. And then I think about each day, the numerous times that the Lord has interacted with me in my life. And I've seen him take care of my family, seen him take care of me, seen his loving hand lead me and guide me his forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt. Each day as I watch believers grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I I see that promise, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, and you see it happen every day, every day, every day, you walk away going, how could I not trust him? How is it that there's moments that I don't believe him? Friends, worship 
when we worship on a daily basis, it involves faith. There's more, but for the sake of time, we'll go ahead and leave these for next week. So my advice and my pastoral admonition this morning is go home and worship. Worship right now. Don't stop worshiping. Have in your mind these attitudes, which also were in Christ Jesus, but have them in yourself. My number one goal in life is that God is glorified. My number one job is to follow him. My number one desire is knowing him. I am willing to give up everything at any time to follow him completely. And I am willing to trust him as I step out in faith. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found in your word. We ask, Father, that we would continue to think about worship in a way that's correct, that we would think about your truth in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you. We ask that we would be yielding to your spirit and yielding to the truth of scripture. I'm so very thankful for my brothers and sisters that you've blessed me with here. And I feel so truly blessed, more blessed than I should be. But that's a testament to your goodness. That's not a testament to mine. That's a testament to your faithfulness, not mine. That's a testament to your love, not mine. And so I'm very thankful for you, for what you've done and how you've worked in my brother's and sister's life. I'm thankful that we've got chance to be here this morning and, and to see these truths from your word. I just ask that you would continue to work on our hearts and make us more like your son. We thank you and love you for everything you blessed us with. In your son's name, amen.